Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Narthex. My name is Alyssa Gubril and I'm here today with Pastor Jeff Thune and Pastor Lucas Hattenberger of Northwest Bible Church. Every other week we sit down to discuss how the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to the questions and conversations of today. And today we are discussing the theology of deconstruction. Deconstruction. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, this is probably familiar to listeners, um, but unfamiliar to others. So let me start by giving us a quick definition of deconstruction, um, and then we'll kind of move on from there. Um, I guess the way I would define it is taking the spiritual, religious, or theological system that you've been given, um, that you've grown up in, that you've been a part of, and going through a process of questioning, testing, testing, and, and sometimes even dismantling that. A um, couple pictures that might be helpful here. When, um, when we were adults, my brother bought my parents' house and moved his young family into that house. Um, and as he got into the house and, and started um, kind of looking how it would use, uh, how, how it would be used to serve his family, there were just things in there that he was like, yeah, um, I'm questioning how this works or how this will function for my family. And so does that wall need to be there? Um, should we put a, another bathroom down here in the you know, entryway? Um, does the basement need to be renovated so that there's another room, another guest room as my kids get older? So um, in a similar way, um, Deconstruction is, is kind of doing that. It's, it's stepping into the house um, that you've been given, uh, a house that you've kind of grown up in, and, and starting to question, okay, how's it laid out, um, spiritually speaking? What are, what are things that don't necessarily make sense? And so do they need to be reconfigured, um, reoriented? Um, do they need to disappear altogether? Uh, maybe another helpful uh, picture here is there's a French philosopher by the name of Paul Ricoeur. Um, he, yeah, in the field of hermeneutics, he talked about how you would go to a text um, and sort of break it down. And he talked about a first innocence and then a critical distance and then a second innocence. So the first innocence, you come to the text there's wide-eyed acceptance. You just take it as it is. You receive it, joyfully receive it. And you come to it a second time, and now you're able to step back from the text and ask questions of it, even interrogate the text itself, um, which should lead or sometimes leads to a second innocence where you reconnect with the text, and now it's kind of like um, you're able to understand it and, and apply it even to your own life. Um, there's this famous quote from him that, beyond the desert of criticism, we wish to be called again. So all of that to say that in a similar way, a lot of people have this as part of their spiritual experience. They begin with this wide-eyed acceptance, joyful like openness um, to the paradigm that they've been given, to the system they've grown up in. At some point, they move onto a buffeting of a lot of questions, a lot of questions that come from culture. Um, a lot of questions that question their, um, yeah, just the house they grew up in, so to speak. 
And then they can arrive at a point where they feel like, oh, okay, there's nothing left here. Uh, I've, I've been left in kind of this desert of criticism, um, which in some cases, um, that's where the faith journey ends. In other cases, it leads to a reconnecting, um, yeah, to the, to the experience, to the system that you, you grew up in, but in a different way. Yeah. So as with any of these topics that we're discussing, there's a certain level of nuance that's necessary because, like you're saying, sometimes it leads to somebody walking away from their faith, but other times it doesn't. Um, so talk about that, that spectrum. Yeah, I think, I mean, you, you mentioned um, on our last episode that that's part of why we do this podcast. Yeah. There's a lot of nuance here, a very wide spectrum. So from what I just described, like one end of the spectrum would be, yeah, a complete deserting of your faith, of your Christianity, um, apostasy, you know, just uh, yeah. I'm agnostic now, I'm an atheist, I'm, I don't believe in anything, or I'm, I'm moving, um, transitioning to maybe another belief system, another worldview. All the way on the other side um, would be reconstructionism, where I'm sort of reconstructing um, my faith, but um, still, still hold on to a sincere belief. Um, I'm just kind of putting the pieces back together in a way that, um, yeah, suits the life stage I'm in and the experiences God has taken me through. So, um, yeah, and I think that uh, the the spectrum idea is, is helpful. I also think that um, this this idea of the house is is also helpful, and it's and it's um, it's one way of seeing this is deconstruction. Um, uh, you can look at deconstruction in, in two different ways. So on the one hand, you can deconstruct your faith in the sense that you have you moved into the house, but now you've rethought the house altogether, mm. right? And so you're actually going to move out of the house. Mm. You're going to get a wrecking ball and demolish the house. Yeah, um, that's one way to deconstruct your faith, and a lot of people have done that. And, and the Bible has a word for that. It's called apostasy, mm. right? Where you, where you just reject the faith altogether. But the way of deconstructing, and maybe there's a better term for it, uh, maybe we might call it renovation or um, uh, fixing something that's, that's wrong with the house, is you're in the house still. You still hold to the core tenets of the faith. You still claim Jesus as Lord. Um, but um, you're, you're looking back at, at your faith and you're saying, you know what, this room doesn't belong here anymore, mm-hmm. right? And so one of the things, um, you know, j- just to give you a, a, an example, something like gender roles, mm. you know, whereas for the last, you know, 500 years, there's been a pretty typical um, idea of what gender roles are, right? Male out of the household, only male pastors, that sort of thing. Uh, women submit, quote, unquote. Um, and yet now people are kind of looking at that room within the house and they're saying, you know, um, I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of this room. Mm. And I'm going to think about the faith differently, um, or we might we might say uh, let's let's say you grew up in a non-denominational church, and you always saw baptism and the Lord's Supper as very uh, symbolic. But now you're saying, you know what? I actually see baptism as uh, having some sort of of effect on you know. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna move over here to to this church where they affirm that the sacraments are in some way efficacious. So you're still, I guess, the point I'm trying to make is you're still in the house, but you're, 
you're reconstructing, I guess, or you're or you're renovating the house. And so there's been a lot of people who maybe they grew up um, in a Roman Catholic church, but they move since then to a Protestant, uh, to a Protestant version of the faith, or they've uh, grown up very conservative, but now they've moved to a liberal, more liberal idea of, of the faith. Um, maybe maybe they've grown up um, understanding um, certain ideas of sexual ethics, but now they've sort of changed that. Mm. Um, this this is uh, this is still deconstruction, but it's deconstruction within the Christian faith. You're inside the house. You're not demolishing the house. You're not taking a sledgehammer to the house. You're you're still within the Christian faith, and yet you're still deconstructing. Deconstructing. I think um, that's that's an important distinction to make. It's an important nuance. All of us at some point in our lives have gone through this sort of deconstruction. We've all um, at some in some form. Maybe it's okay, well, I, yeah, I guess I've thought about this, or, man, yeah, I went through a year of tumultuous doubt, and I got rid of this thing that I used to hold to, but I'm still a Christian, you know. Um, all of us have gone through that sort of deconstruction, whether, whatever, whatever that deconstruction may be. Um, and so there's deconstruction within, within the house and then deconstruction with, uh, outside the house where you take a, uh, you know, where you take an eight ball to the house and, not an eight ball. What is it? A wrecking ball. Wrecking yeah. ball. There yeah. you go. Yeah. And and you destroy and you destroy the house. So those are the two two different. And within the house, there's all sorts of different kinds of deconstruction. Yeah, I think it's. There. I mean, maybe helpful. So so bringing down the entire house altogether, or shedding some of the religious forms, skin, husk, while still holding on to the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. So let me give a couple of personal examples of this, and maybe you guys could do the same. I remember like fifth grade, um, climbing into uh, a car with my Uncle John, who um, kind of a generation ahead of me, almost like uh, a big older brother. And me and my brother climb into the car, and he turns on the ignition. And I I can't remember what classic rock um, group it was, like Boston or Kansas or something, you know, and he's got it cranked, and he's He's playing this rock and roll music, right? And my brother from the back seat says, Uncle John, this, this isn't Christian. And I remember my uncle looking at both of us and just kind of smiling and say, yeah, Bobby, you're right. And then turning it up, you know? <laughs> and it was like in this moment, I'm sort of kind of deconstructing, okay, there are other forms of music out there and actually it's okay. Maybe my, you know, this is someone I look up to who I know is a believer who I know is listening um, to, yeah, to this kind of music. And so in some way I was undergoing some deconstruction. I'm like, okay, there's, there's good music out there. That's, and it's okay to, to maybe engage the world at this level. Right. I remember in college um, going to a Christian liberal arts school that was, far more conservative than maybe your public university and they were still holding on to some of the traditions, conservative traditions. And I remember kind of a, yeah, just these different RAs and, and probably with good intentions, but having these like CD breaking parties, you know, where they brought trash cans out into um, the the hallway around these dorm, dorm rooms. And we were kind of just taking our secular CDs and music and just breaking them over these trash cans. And I remember thinking, like, this seems really, like, um, self-righteous. This seems really kind of legalistic. And I don't think I want to do this, you know? And 
So in another way right there, I'm kind of deconstructing. I'm kind of going like, hey, this legalistic kind of um, religious overtones to what's being expressed here is maybe not something that I want in my house, right? It's not something um, my wife, um, her you know, formative years as a, as a kid, she was raised in the Catholic church and then her parents, um, I would say, heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, wanted good biblical teaching, wanted to hear the gospel every single week. And so in trying to find a new place to do that and raise their kids, they moved to from a Catholic church to an Assemblies of God church, which is a huge change, right? I mean, you're going from sit, stand, kneel to people being slain in the spirit. And so I know for her in that time period, she's kind of deconstructing, okay, I know that kind of those, some of those religious, ritualistic, um, you know, very traditional things that my parents used to be a part of. And now here's this hyper charismatic kind of expression of things. And so it sent her on, on a period of time, like in her, you know, late teens and into college of, of yeah, kind of constructing, deconstructing some and then constructing, okay, what is my faith expression going to be? What's it going to look like? So I, I agree with you. In some ways it's like, um, all of those things, those could be examples of, yeah. of what we're talking about. Yeah, and what we're really talking about is just the spiritual journey of every, every Christian. Yeah. And uh, depending on where you're at in your spiritual life, some of that deconstruction is more, you know, uh, cataclysmic. Mm. Um, and some of it is less. Um, but this is something that I think we also need to, you know, just, just highlight. This is not... You know, deconstruction is a new word, right? You know, but it's not a new phenomenon. You know, it's something that believers in Jesus, uh, people of faith, have gone through ever since uh, you know the, the time of the you know the first century. You know, so think about the Apostle Paul. He met he, he went through a massive deconstruction right. where right. he was persecuting the church. He saw this. Uh, you know, Jesus appeared to him. And then he, his faith was flipped on its head, and he had a total deconstruction. And then he spent uh, the next few years reconstructing yeah. his faith, yeah. right? That's yeah. what he says in, in the book of Galatians. Okay, now I have to go back and kind of look at the Old Testament and see how this all fits in with my, with my understanding. Um, even the, uh, the reformers, Luther. I mean, we, you know, I think most of us have heard the story of Luther and the, the, the agony that he went through. Mm as an Augustinian monk, and then he discovered in the book of Romans the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Um, and then he was kicked out of the Catholic Church, and yeah. you know now we have this Protestant faith. That, that was a deconstruction followed by a reconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is something that's been happening for centuries and centuries and centuries, where, where followers of Jesus, people of faith, uh, they're inside the house, you know, and they're just like, wow, okay, this, this room does not belong here anymore. You know, there's, you know, <laughs> you know, metaphorically speaking, there's mold all, you know, I, I need to get rid of all of this. Right. Mm. Mm. Um, but then also there are people who have totally removed themselves from the house and said, you know, I don't want this house at all anymore. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, there's, and, and, you know, I know personally for me, there are people who, uh, who have influenced me and have helped me to, 
uh, look at look at my assumptions and, and my theology and and deconstruct and then reconstruct and I've done that several times over. Yeah, where you have a kind of a crisis of faith and then you build build it back up and then you have a new vision of the faith and and that sort of thing. Um, but then there's tons of people who have just taken a sledgehammer to the whole thing, yeah. just brought it down to the ground. I don't know if you want to speak. To yeah, that. it's. I mean, it's. Well, yeah, and like you said, it's it's nothing new. Um, I think because of the world we live in. Um, because of social media specifically, um, it's become this movement, you know, or it feels like it. Yeah. It feels like it yeah, yeah. the last few years. Um, some of that is just there's the, the culture of celebrity, even within kind of the evangelical um, wing of, uh, of American Christianity. There's these, these celebrities that we've come to know of in music, especially in um in, in the leadership world and in the church. And, um, yeah, we see a lot of them go through this publicly. And, and sometimes the ones we see go through it publicly do leave the house altogether, you know? And so then it causes, um, man, it causes a lot of others who were followers of those people or who those people had influence in their lives or you felt like, okay, in some ways I'm tied to this brother or sister, um, who's, you know, gained, uh, notoriety because of the gifts that God has given them. So I'm thinking like people like Joshua Harris and, um, Kevin, Kevin Max Smith, um, Audrey Asad, Jennifer Knapp, you know, a lot of, a lot of, yeah, a lot of musicians, artists, creative types, um, who have walked away, um, from the house completely, um, and you've seen them publicly wrestle, and then they have fallen kind of on the one side of that spectrum. And so that's, I think, causes a lot of people, um, it just causes unrest and uncertainty. Wait, should I be questioning? How should I be questioning? And then as those people try to sort of work it out um, publicly, sometimes it, it causes others to get caught up in the wake of what they're experiencing, processing, deconstructing. Um, but I think you're right. Like there is a, man, there's a biblical type of deconstruction, right? Um, speak yeah, to that true. just a, a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, um, yeah, I was just talking with somebody about this the other day, and, and, they, and they were saying, well, you know, even the, the Re- Reformation slogan of reformed and always reforming, and actually that was a, a that was a, a slogan that went even into the time, uh, you know, Middle Ages. But this idea that um, the, the, the Bible, so we have our faith, which is based on the Bible, and, and the Bible norms our faith. You mm-hmm. know, there, there's another um, slogan that says it's the norm that norms all other norms, right? Sure, sure. And so we, we construct a faith based on our understanding of the Bible, but, but maybe five years down the line we say, you know, I used to believe that the Bible said X, but now I realized that that was a misinterpretation or whatever. Um, and so now I have to reform mm. and reform. And kind of that, that, you know, the tagline of the reformers was, listen, uh, the, the medieval church misunderstood the doctrine of justification yeah. as this process by which you, you know, okay, let's continue to do that now. Mm. Let's continue to, to look to the scriptures and have it norm our norms yeah. over and over and over again. And so this kind of back, going back to the scriptures, um, 
I, yeah, I think that's totally biblical, and I think that's something that all Christians should aim at, at doing, you know? Because there's almost some arrogance to think, like, I understand it all. Yeah. Like, I've got it all, and I, there's nothing for me to deconstruct. Mm. Like, I, I'm good. I don't need to deconstruct. We should be asking ourselves yeah. those questions. Does this match up to the Bible? Yeah. And even that posture of, of going, okay, um, I'm going to humble myself and place myself under the authority of God's word. Mm-hmm. And at different seasons in my life, man, if I need to be checked on something, if something needs to be um, deconstructed or um, or just better articulated, um, better understood, better formed, you know, allowing God's word to do that. I think that you're describing like that is kind of the posture that we want to, that we're called to, to walk in um, and that we want to walk in, so... So I think this is a good, maybe maybe a good transition to to look at um, kind of, kind of the method or the the way that one deconstructs. So what we're really talking about is there's a way of de- deconstruction that's healthy, yeah. That's in a way agonizing. Like you think about Luther, there's tons of myths surrounding Luther's deconstruction. <laughs> like one of them is that he was on the toilet when he had kind of his <laughs> light bulb moment of understanding. I, I think it was Romans one or one sixteen or something. Yeah. Um, he he had this kind of this tumultuous experience that was in his in his you know in his just gave him knots in his stomach. Um, I, I can think of other theologians who um, I might not agree with, but I but I do respect the agonizing way in which they've deconstructed. So I think of somebody like a Peter Enns, who's a contemporary critical theologian. Um, read a couple of his books on, on his, on his sort of reformulating of his, his faith. And he just talked about how agonizing and how uphill it was. Mm. And he talked about how he was studying, you know, X book. And, you know, I think it was the book of first Corinthians or something. And he had this light bulb moment and it led to this long journey, this spiritual journey that was difficult for him. It led to a career change. It led to, so there's that sort of agonizing deconstruction uh, but then there's also just lazy deconstruction, right. which I think a lot of people do. And, and I think it's important to say, listen, what we're not talking about is, oh, um, yeah, I stopped going to church and, and I just woke up one day and I just realized I don't believe this anymore or something along those lines. Right. Um, that's not deconstruction. That's that's just being lazy. I mean, yeah. that, that's just kind of uh, saying I don't, I don't want to try at this Christian thing anymore. And so therefore, I'm going to I'm just going to leave the faith. I, I think. Um, you know, we, we have to sort of uh, highlight that uh, from, from the get-go, that that sort of deconstruction is, is not healthy, it's not good. We want to think seriously about the faith. And whatever room we demolish or remodel or, or whatever, whatever we do, we want to do with, with all our effort. You want to speak to that? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I don't, maybe these categories aren't, aren't the best um, and maybe a, a bit crass, but... Hmm. You're talking about serious deconstruction versus just lazy um, lack of engagement. And I think, um, yeah, we're starting to see, like, the the lazy kind of, I'm just sort of disengaged. I'm not really sure if I want to um, give myself to thinking critically and um, digging more deeply into the scripture and understanding, you know, all the different applications of the gospel therein, um, you know, there there can be, our hearts are so prone to kind of deceive us that I've seen a lot of younger 
believers. So everybody online, all these, you know, quote unquote, celebrity Christians are deconstructing. And so therefore it's okay for me to just kind of take a break from my faith, the expression of community, the giving myself to corporate worship. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I have even seen like friends who I would say that's just sort of their, um, excuse to continue to compromise, to continue to waffle, to continue to sin in ways that they enjoy right now. And so I think, I think, yeah, I mean, I I think that's where you kind of have to check your own heart. Like there is a very real, um, let's say kind of traumatic, um, serious at times heart wrenching, um, deconstructing that, that a lot of believers go through and, and we want to, um, we want to, you know, compel them to do that in a healthy way. And we'll talk a little bit about that later, but then there's others who are just like, Hey, I'm going to kind of use this phenomenon of deconstructing as an excuse to be really lazy about my faith. Um, or just kind of be more self-absorbed in my approach to life, you know? And, and I would say like, um, yeah, there is a way, um, of losing your faith by just not engaging it. So. And there's almost to go back to that house analogy, like there's vandalism, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like vandalism could just be that lazy deconstruction, because um, it takes a lot of effort and resources mm. and mm. collaboration to build something that's going to last, but it's really easy to destroy it, to yeah. just knock it over. Yeah. Um, and we don't often just wake up one day and say, like, I'm, I'm rethinking everything I've ever believed. There's often abuses, or there's mm. trauma, or there's theological questions that mm. cause us to question things and to de- deconstruct. So what do you guys see as like some of the main causes for deconstruction? Yeah, and I guess what we're saying right at the right at the get go is there. I think there are unhealthy causes, yeah. which is the laziness factor, which is oh, I just want to live with my girlfriend. I don't, yeah, <laughs> that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, and then there are things that at least I, I think. All right, yeah, this should give us pause to think about yeah. this. Yeah, right. Yeah. We should mull this over. We should think about what we truly believe. We believe it. Um, so healthy causes for looking at the house and saying, I want to renovate. I want to, yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say, so we'll, we'll list a few here, but one legitimate cause I would say is just church abuse related. So kind of a summary of that are, are people who had a pastor church leader parent, um, who was abusive, um, or just someone who lacked integrity mm-hmm. And usually intermingled with that is often a larger community that seems to support that leader um, or that behavior um, or isn't really aware that it's going on or at what level it's going on. And there are also um, many times these over-spiritualized expectations that if you were to ever leave that community, you'd be leaving the faith, right? Mm -hmm. So you can imagine in that... um, that type, that cause, it's just this pressure cooker. Um, so maybe some examples of that, you know, the Mars Hill podcast, uh, if you have not listened to that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting listen. 
Um, most of us had some sight lines into that whole phenomenon that happened up in, in Seattle around, um, yeah, the early mid two thousands and, and Mark Driscoll's ministry up there. But, um, it's a great example of this, right? It's an abuse of power, a lot of manipulation, um, a lot of, uh, yeah, um, a lot of guilt and, and just all the worst things, you know, that you, you don't wish upon any sort of organization or church, but what comes out of that is, yeah, just a lot of deconstructing, you know, people kind of questioning, wait a second, like, what of this was good and what of it is, is clearly not good and how do I kind of detangle, so to speak? Um, interesting stat here is 86% um, leave the church not because of belief change but because of relational trauma. So I guess I would even add to that, um, you think about this last couple of years, the political, religious, evangelical dumpster fire of the last two years. So, i.e., you have the major falls of major Christian leaders um, like Driscoll, James McDonald, C.J. Mahaney, Ravi Zacharias, Bill Hybels. You take that with, okay, this ever-increasing political tribalism marked by the rise of Trump, racial injustice, COVID, masks, vaccines, conspiracy theories, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you, you, you even add to that, okay, my parents, grandparents' um, generation has kind of gone all in with their traditional political leanings or party rather than, you know, with me kind of parsing out how to live as a Christian. Um, yeah, in, in this season, in this culture, in this climate, um, you know, considering this particular event or issue, I, I just think like I have I have friends, man, who are younger than I am, who with all of those things kind of colliding all at once, it it's just caused them to I mean, they're in a complete tailspin. Like um and so I think that is is one of the types, um, one of the causes that we would say is legitimate. It's a legitimate yeah. cause to to make people um, both deconstruct and also um, for us as the church to go, hey, man, like we need to pursue, um, fold those people in, be a place where those people can kind of be in process. Yeah. Well, it just makes me think of that, you know, you shall know them by their fruit. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, if you know them by their fruit, that means if there isn't fruit or if there's rotten fruit, I mean... Uh, then the opposite effect uh, is, the, is there as well. Um, and so there's been a lot of rotten fruit over the last couple of years, COVID, politics, uh, evangelical leader falling one after the other. Uh, and then, you know, I think of Dustin Kensery, who I have a, I have a lot of respect for him. He's the singer of Thrice, mm. uh, was the worship pastor at Mars Hill. Uh, he's He's not a Christian anymore. Mm. And so, but, and that's because of the trauma that he experienced under Mark Driscoll. So I just think we have to affirm the reality of, yeah. of the pain that this causes mm. that the watching world is, is looking at, at all of this and saying, well, why would I believe in that God? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, th I think like 
I think to be able to, you know, as, as graciously and humbly as we can as the church to say, hey, the failure that you may have experienced from leaders in your life um, or even from the religious system that you've been a part of and the expectations that that has placed upon you, um, is it possible that all of that is different yeah. from from Christ's love for you, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so how do I help you ask that question and and walk alongside you and love you in a way that um, hopefully leads you to the conclusion of, yeah, it is different. Christ's love for me is different than some of that experience and that trauma that I've, yeah, that I've walked through. Yeah, and so this and the next one is is related, uh, and we can still put it on the kind of the experiential. So, I guess some some broad themes is these first two are more experiential than uh, philosophical or theological. So the one is abuse. The next one though is is the experience of pain and evil in the world, um, and so this is a pretty classic uh, reason for not for people not believing in God, but. You look at the world and, uh, you, you know, if, if, if Christians believe in a God that is powerful and loving at the same time, but you see all of this pain in the world, how can I believe in such a God? So, um, uh, you know, there, there are tons of books out there that sort of this is the pinpoint for, for, for the reason they, they reject Christianity. So um, Rachel Held Evans enumerates this throughout many of her books that her existential crises came when she began to look outside of sort of her American white, you know, evangelical faith and looked at the uh, people dying, uh, you know, uh, uh, the suffering, the, the pain. Uh, I think she was talking about when she went to Africa and she saw, you know, uh, the poverty level there. Um, if, if you've ever had a loved one die of cancer or some, some sort of excruciating disease, uh, why didn't God save this person, if he loves this person, you know, why, why doesn't he save them? Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, um, so, and I, so I, I think that this is, this is a real, this is a real deal. You know, um, even somebody like a Bart Ehrman, who used to be an evangelical theologian, um, he, he, he's a critical scholar. So he, he believes that the Bible is just kind of this jumble of, um, writings. He doesn't think it's from God, but he said that the reason he rejected the faith was because of this issue, right. the problem of evil. That God does not intervene in, in the world, and so I think this is a real this is a real thing. Um, and even in the last year, uh, COVID, um, uh, you know, the turmoil in the world. Where is God? That's right. kind of the question um, of the year. And so, uh, yeah, I think this is a, a healthy question, a healthy thing to grapple with. I guess what my, my response to these first two would just be that. I think that these are real things to grapple with, but I also think that the experience of pain and trauma and suffering um, does assume some sort of ideal, hmm. like some sort of right versus wrong, some sort of good versus bad. And um, I, I guess what I what I would encourage, if, if somebody's wrestling through these issues, it, I would just encourage people to think through, well, why do you have these ideals in your mind sure. in the first place? Sure. Right. So why do you have this idea that... You know, let's just take a naturalistic sort of worldview. It's it's all it is is evolution. The world is sort of on this trek. It's kind of going and improving or whatever. What what's to say that 
um, suffering is not a way in which the world moves forward. Right. Yeah. You right. know, in fact, you know, the, the survival of the fittest, that's one of the core tenets there. So I, I guess I would just say, where do we get these, the, these ideas of right and wrong, these ideas that pain is not good? Um, and, and what I would say is we get it from the, the idea uh, uh, that the world is not as it should be, uh, that the world is not as it was originally created, and that we are hoping that the world will improve. And that's what the Christian worldview says, that the world is not as it should be, and God is, through Jesus, is bringing the world to uh, the state he originally wanted it to be. So I, I would just, you know, I, I think it's real pain, struggle, but I would also just say, hey, challenge, get, you know, challenge your own mindset. Why are you, why do you have these ideals in your head? And that's kind of the response I would give there. Yeah. And I think you, you said it, maybe I'll say it a different way of just, is it possible that, um, that all of that, um, should start to move you drive you um, yeah, to consider, okay, what of the Christian worldview is kind of implicit in my emotions and what I'm feeling? Um, and can that, should that, um, drive me to, to more deeply pursue, um, the God of the Bible and a God who says, yeah, it is broken. It's all broken. Sin has broken it completely. Even creation is groaning. Um, but let me tell you about my son, you know, who's restoring it all. So, um, I think, yeah, we, we don't want to say that in a dismissive way and I don't think you are, but I'm just well, saying, and like, I, yeah. yeah, we don't want to say, well, just get over it because yeah. God's going to make it all better. Right. 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 I mean, that's far from it. And, and I, you know, what did Dietrich Bonhoeffer say? He said, only the suffering God can help. Mm. Um, hmm. You know, and there was another Jewish, I think there was another Jewish theologian that, that said, you know, your theology needs to be able uh, to look at the, uh, the gas chambers of, mm. uh, of World War II, of um, Hitler's regime, mm. and have an answer for that. Yeah. You know, if, you, if your God cannot, if, you're, if you don't have a good answer in your theology, uh, then your, your theology is bogus. So I think the, the point that all of those quotes are meant to say is that evil is real yeah. and it's yeah. painful and it's awful and we don't want to dismiss it. But at the same time, we do want to say we believe in a God that takes it seriously and has suffered with us and will make it better. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, I, so the next, um, yeah, the next cause is just theological, um, cultural, um, related, culturally related. Um, the overview there is just like, hey, science has disproved the Bible. Um, postmodernism has clearly shown that any and all truth claims are just power grabs. Um, any belief in the supernatural is naive. It's outdated. Any commitment to the sexual ethic of the Bible is oppressive. And so it's just kind of let's move on type of uh, thought process. Um, and I think that a lot of that is you know, culturally inspired or um, prompted. Um, well, and I think um, something unique has happened in the 20th century. And, uh, you know, if, if you just look at the 20th century theologians, they're trying to grapple with the rise of science. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, most of Christian history was 
what we call pre-modern history, mm. uh, before the, the rise of uh, science, and now we're discovering how the world works. Um, and you know, now now we live in what is called the postmodern era, which is uh, a whole other conversation. But um, yeah, it's basically this idea that well, what the ancient peoples used to ascribe to God or to the gods, we now know is the cause of, of, of scientific natural cycles like the rain cycle, like gravity. Um, the ancient peoples used to think that the universe was three stories. You know, we're in the middle. We're, you know, we're on the first floor. There's the attic below, which is, which is hell or Hades or whatever. And then up above is, is heaven. And, um, well, now we know that the earth is round. Now we know that the earth is not the center of the universe. Now we know all of these things, and therefore the Christian worldview is bogus, mm. right? And um, so one of the championing, championing uh, Christian theologians that sort of took this challenge was a guy named Rudolf Boltmann. He was a German theologian. Lutheran theologian, and, and he basically said, yeah, yeah, uh, we, we now know that the Christian worldview is mythic. Uh, mm. It came out of the ancient sort of Old Testament, ancient Near Eastern worldview, and um, we don't live in a three-story universe. Uh, there's not a hell underneath our feet. We can't dig. You know? mm. And so he said, listen, we just, we need, what we need to do is we need to sort of get rid of the myth, mm. kind of wade through the myth, and get to the truth that's at all. And so he was what is called an existential theologian. He said, listen, all, these, all this belief in uh, a literal resurrection and this idea that Jesus somehow climbed to the third story and he's reigning uh, from the heavens, that doesn't make any sense anymore. But what, uh, well, what can we gain from the Christian worldview? And well, uh, you know, Jesus uh, followed God uh, even to death. And mm-hmm. he was freed from fear. He was freed from, you know. So we need to uh, break through our fear and 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 you know, say, say yes to, uh, to ourselves or whatever. Um, so many theologians followed suit, and they basically affirmed that Christianity doesn't make sense, um, and yet we can still find meaning. We can right. still go to church. We can still have a good life. Um, and so one, one uh, theologian, Friedrich Schleiermacher, he's the father of modern liberalism, he basically said, well, Jesus is still worthy of following. He had this, he had a really close connection with God, we can still be Christians by sort of adopting Jesus's worldview and all this sort of stuff. Um, and that's kind of been the last hundred years. Right, right. And, um, and, and a lot of people are following suit. They're saying, listen, how, how can we believe in a God uh, when that's just, that's just, uh, that's just bogus? There, I, you know, you think of the Russian uh, astronaut who went out into space and he mm. said, I, lo- I went out to space. I looked for God. He's not there. Yeah. Let's go home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, I, you know, I think that this is a real, it's, it's still around. We do live in a different era called postmodernism where people say, well, we, we still want to find meaning in life and, and so on. But to a large extent, most people operate on sort of this naturalistic sure. evolutionary sort of framework. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's a challenge to answer, um, especially when you have these liberal theologians who are sort of adopting it and wanting to go forward with it. What, what do you think, what do you think you would say to that? Uh, Jeff, how, how would you respond? I mean, to that? I think, uh, yeah, um, in the kind of the post-enlightenment wave that crashed on the Western shores and is still all this rationalism that's still kind of, yeah, I mean, it's still present, like you said. It's still, um, at, at times, is just taken as the way things are, you know? I would just say that, um, okay, so as a, as a faithful Christian, um, 
it, there's there's some hard work ahead of us. There's hard work in um, walking out, living out, um, deepening our faith. And so kind of this easy believism that maybe was adequate um, when the, the winds were yeah. kind of blowing in our favor, like that's, it's gone, man. Yeah, it's gone now. Right. And so lasting faith requires real spiritual formation. It, it requires intellectual courage. It requires um, wrestling uh, through others and our own convictions. And so, um, you know, I think that's New Testament Christianity, you yeah, know? Right. And so um, I think, yeah, being well-read, um, understanding some of the, you know, opposing worldviews, um, some of the scientific naturalistic sort of tendencies that are um, still existing kind of in the, the undergirding of our of our culture, of American culture, they're important. Mm. And then understanding, okay, how does the scripture, how does the Christian worldview speak um, to that? And I think in some ways not um, not being ashamed of uh, kind of a supernaturalism, yeah. you know, that the yeah. scripture gives us and holds out to us. And um, so I think in order to do that, yeah, you do need intentionality like you described before of going, all right, I, I, man, I need to be, I need to re- be reading things that, you know, um, inform me. I need to be reading opposing views and, and then searching the, the scripture, searching the community of faith. And how do we, and how do we answer that? I think if anything, you know, that allows you to, um, you know, deconstruct, in some ways, but also reconstruct in healthy, strong, supportive ways that are going to only add to your confidence and conviction in, in the scripture and in the gospel. Yeah. How about you? How would you respond? Well, I, yeah, I do agree. I think more rigorous thought. Yeah. You know, you know, some, some people might be bored by this section. I'm, st- I'm still putting it in the podcast <laughs> because I, I do feel like, like, all right, guys, we need to deal with this mm. because, you know, Rudolf Bultmann is still an important theologian in modern thought. And, uh, the, the, you know, Karl Barth, Friedrich Schle- I mean, all of these guys are important, and they need to be answered, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. So as a Christian, all right, now we know that the world is round and it revolves around the sun, the sun, you know, blah, 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 blah. All right, well, that's true. Now, as someone who believes in a Trinitarian God, a God who has become flesh, how do we... How do we answer for that? How yeah. do we, we have to, we have to now think rigorously about yeah. this. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. So, okay. Evolution is sort of the, all right, well, okay. How do we think about this mm-hmm. as intelligent people? Not just saying, oh, well, like, okay, God doesn't exist. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of, one of the responses that I, I would just say is why, why is God and science mutually exclusive? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of, that's kind of the assumption there. Well, right. God doesn't make it rain clouds make it rain. Um, you know, so Jesus said, God makes it rain on the, on the just and the unjust. Well, he was wrong. There you mm-hmm. go. Jesus was wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. he's not God. Okay. Well, let's, let's think about that a little bit more. Yeah. Right. Um, let's, let's not think in mutual, mutually, um, uh, uh exclusive terms. Let's, let's try to bring these two worlds together. So mm-hmm. I, I just think, yeah, more rigorous thought. And even yeah. for Christians, like we don't have to be afraid of science, yeah. you know, and I think there can be sometimes this Christian idea of like, I'm going to hide like away from the evolution word. Like, I don't yeah. want to think about it. I don't yeah. want to talk about it. But 
like we can believe that scripture holds up to all that we know about the world now that we didn't know about it, you know, mm-hmm. however many years ago. Yeah, I do think that um, not that that's a really good point, though, Alyssa, is um, the alternative to to deconstruction and rethinking mm. is not good either. Mm. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, evolution is just a. Uh, science is just trying to get rid of God. Yeah. You know, that, that's, I just know yeah. that that's not a good response. I don't think, mm-hmm. I think we need to engage yeah. these ideas, um, and, um, try to make sense of it all, you know? Um, so. Yeah. So, um, abuse related, trauma related. Um, now we've talked a little bit about, um, yeah, culturally, philosophical, sort of related World ideas sort of um, things, yeah. as, as cause for deconstruction. You want to talk at all about just um, kind of the, the textual criticism-related causes. Um, the Bible is, is not truly the Word of God, not, you know, yeah, right, right. not really inspired. Um, you want to talk at all about that as maybe a last kind of type or cause of de- deconstructionism? Yeah, and, and I'll just take this. So I have a friend on Facebook who just a couple days ago, he posted this long post on Facebook. He used to be a worshiper, of course, musician. Mm. Uh, These stinking creatives. <laughs> musicians are. But anyways, he said, listen, uh, uh, the Bible is not what you think it is, basically, is what he said. You know, um, the Old Testament is just this sort of piecing together of different documents uh, into this cohesive whole. Uh, most of the New Testament is written pseudonymously. Hmm. Uh, most, of, uh, most of the Pauline letters are forged. All this sort of stuff. right? And all of that comes from this idea of what is called critical scholarship, um, which is a big deal um, uh, you know, in, in the scholarly world right now. But the, the basic idea is, is uh, this idea of literary criticism where you're trying to see not simply what is written in the text, you're kind of trying to look behind the veil of the text to see how the text came together mm. as it as it was. So you're not looking at the text as it is, mm. but you're looking at the text as how it came to be, sure. basically. Sure. Um, so, for instance, uh, uh, the, one of the first um, theories was this, uh, um, and I forgot who it was who came up with this, but it's the JEDP mm. um, idea within the Old Testament that there's multiple traditions in the Old Testament that the Jews only later after the exile... They brought these writings together and they compiled them together. And it's not first five books of Moses are not written by Moses. You know, they're written much later. Uh, and in fact, uh, Gen- for instance, Genesis one and Genesis two. Um, so if you look at Genesis two and Genesis one, there are two different names for God in that mm. chapter. And in fact, what they would say is that there are two contradictory creation mm. stories there. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, if we're kind of looking at the process, these these must have been two different documents written separate of one, one, one another, and then only Maybe. later did they bring them together and say, see, this is just one book. Yeah. And they do the same with the New Testament, they, especially with the Gospels. Um, they try to track and see how all of these Gospels were written. Um, but the basic sort of therefore of all of it, and I, I could nerd out way too much on this, but the basic therefore is the Bible is not what you think it is, and the Bible is not this cohesive whole document. It's a... It's a bringing together these different tattered documents, and it's not trustworthy. It's just not true. Um, And I would say that I have seen a lot of people um, accept this thesis that, that, oh, well, you know, uh, this book wasn't written by this person, you know, this thing, you know, and and therefore I'm going to dismantle my faith. Mm. Hmm. Um, So that's that's kind of the the overview, and I I don't want to get too bogged down in in the details there. 
Um, but I, I just think it, it's important to bring up because it is a very prominent thing that people believe right now. It's, uh, it's, it's this, this crit critical sort of look at, at, the, at the Bible and how it came together. So um, that's it. That's what I got. Yeah. How, yeah. how do you respond to that, Jeff? I mean, I want to take, you know, the next 30 or 40 minutes and respond to it. Um, and mainly just to respond to like, yeah, there are, man, there are tests, critical tests that we put the scripture through, you know, internal consistency, uh, literary style, archaeology, textual evidence. Um, the Gospels are probably the most scrutinized of any historical narrative. And, and yet, under all that scrutiny, um, come out to be one of the most reliable um, set of writings, you know. And so whether it's just the, man, whether it's just the number of manuscripts, um, whether it's um, those being able to be tested against one another, whether it's just um, the checks and balances of textual criticism and what, um, what they're finding, you know, as compared to other historical documents of that same time period. I, I guess I want, yeah, there's part of me that wants to spend 45 minutes kind of going like, hey, Christian, um, you have an incredibly um, firm foundation to stand on in terms of the credibility, the veracity of of the scriptures. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think sometimes people who don't do that kind of work or haven't been exposed to that kind of, okay, let's, let's walk through this. Let's get into the mind of a textual critic and let's then put um, the gospels, even, even if it's just the gospels, I, I would say all of scripture, but even just the gospels um, or having even like, you know, one of the, I guess, greatest apologetics to the veracity of scripture is just like, Hey, just read the four Gospels. And as you do, ask yourself the question, do I find these witnesses reliable? You know, um, do I find them credible? Um, so, yeah, w I've already just, you know, kind of gone off on a, a five-minute tangent. I, I, I want to go on another, you know, 35 minutes. But I think, that, yeah, I would just say that is a, another reason that if you are going to seriously deconstruct and that is a question that you have, that's a room that you're looking at in the house and going, hey, does it make sense here? Is it reliable? Do these walls stand? Like, man, one, do some work, you know, right. some critical work that you need to do for your own soul and also for your confidence in the scripture, but also like, include some others in that with you, which I guess we'll get into um, in terms of what we would say healthy deconstruction looks like. But what would you say, Lucas? Yeah, that's interesting. So you would go to the text and you would say, look at the manuscript evidence, look at the uh, unity a factor of, of the Bible. I would just turn it back on the crit critical scholars and, mm -hmm. and I would say, um, all right, well, give me give me the evidence of your claim, right? Mm. An extraordinary claim demands extraordinary evidence. And what you'll find is, is like, so for instance, one of the theories is that um, with, with the Gospels is that Mark was written first, Matthew copied Mark, and then another source, and then Luke copied Matthew and Mark and another source. Mm. 
and then John was out in outer space when he wrote his. <laughs> but but I would just say, okay, well, what other source? <laughs> and they would say, well, we don't have that other source. Yeah, yeah. I would say, well, then you don't have evidence. Right, right. You have right. a theory. You have an idea of what an could ass- have assumed source. You have yeah. an assumption. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would just say, and and. It's not, it's not, there's no source there. They call it Q, Quella, for Mm. for the German, for just source. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, then then I don't believe you. Yeah. Right. And so I I would just say, yeah, but but I I do think that it, it, when people read about this sort of stuff, it it is sort of this explosive thing where it's like, oh, wait a second, I didn't even think Mm. to doubt. And we'll get into this in just a second, but I would just say, okay, well, why don't you. E- apply equal resistance to the doubters right. than the original source. Right, right. Um, as much criticism as you give the Gospels, give criticism to the critics of the Gospels. Sure. Um, and, uh, and, and so that, that would be my, my thing there. But we're going to get to that in just a second. Yeah, so there's, I mean, I think in, in, to summarize, we're saying there are um, definitely illegitimate causes for deconstructionism but there's also legitimate and we tried to list off a few there um abuse related trauma related okay i have some serious theological cultural kind of difficulties or questions and then then even just uh textual criticism tells me that i i don't know that i should believe kind of this foundational doctrine of the christian worldview so i think those are all like legitimate um causes or types of deconstruction um but um i think all of them we would say hey that yeah those are legitimate but um there's a way to even walk through um walk through those those forests together you know so and with that, reconstruction is mm. very important. Yeah. We can't just leave it. Deconstruction without reconstruction is destruction. Yes. We can't just we can't just leave it destroyed. Um, there can be healthy ways to yes. rebuild or to, to deconstruct, to take it apart, to look at it and put it back together. Um, so, what then is our way forward? What? How do we? How do we deconstruct and reconstruct in a healthy way? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts I, I guess yeah I guess I would say we um, the three of us our church uh, wants to affirm the good in some forms of deconstruction um, you're asking okay but if you're struggling how do you begin to then rebuild you know and rebuild in, in healthy and in good ways what's that process look like I think we've all been given um, a picture of Jesus, whether we realize it or not. I remember doing, uh, teaching through one of the gospels, I think it was Luke, and just kind of, I had Google searched pictures of Jesus, right? And all these like mm-hmm. different images come up. And so you kind of had like the Swedish blue sash Jesus and mm-hmm. the feminine pretty Jesus, a permed beard Jesus, a Fabio, Fabio looking Jesus, um, all these different sort of pictures, right? Um, uh, I think what I, I guess the reason I bring it up is like we all have been given a picture um, from our own tradition, from the kind of the the system that we grew up in, the church we grew up in, and so that picture needs to either be reinforced or revisited or recast. Um, 
Jesus himself, what does he tell us? Come and follow me, right? Come and learn from me. Like a disciple is a learning follower. And so a true and compelling picture of Jesus, it's only gained by an ongoing relationship with him and with his people. So you think about even for him to say that, a human being to say, hey, Lucas, come and follow me. Like see every part of me, see how I make decisions, see how I think, see how I pray. That would be terrifying to most of us because that's such a vulnerable thing to do. And yet, I guess what we're saying is like the Son of God, you know, Jesus Christ, um, he is he is fine with your deconstructing. He's fine with you questioning, and, and he's able to stand up against underneath um, all of that and still compelling enough to bring you to, uh, to himself, you know, into, um, into his presence, into his kingdom, um, into, into his life, you know. And so I would just, I, I guess, start by saying, like, yeah, you know, Test your picture, um, reinforce it, revisit it, recast it. Like that is like Lucas, you were saying on the on the front end of this. Like that's that's part of the process. But there's a way to do that and a way to go about that. Um, and I, I think it it does require, um, yeah, other people to do it with. I think it requires the community of faith or that's the healthiest way to do it. You can't do that just kind of on an island by yourself because you're going to read something and interpret it through your own experience in a way that's really a bad interpretation. Um, It's, you know, your emotions are going to cause you to have a perspective, a view of God that's limited or narrow or doesn't invite questioning, um, yeah, you need others. Um, one of God's greatest gifts is is community uh, to come alongside, to process together, to be shaped, to be stirred up, to um, deconstruct and reconstruct in healthy ways. I think there's also, um, yeah, I think there's probably some people who are just in this cultural moment we're living in deconstructing kind of a Christianity light and and they don't even really know there hey there's a non-light version out there and I think yeah. you know maybe the greatest help to them is to make contact with good rich deep theology to be connected to hey this is actually get connected to the ancient church who you know for thousands of years has said these things and believed these things and died for these things and been committed to these things and um, and so sometimes just making contact with, you know, a deeper tradition, um, more, more ancient historical um, system of, of, of thinking and theology is, uh, man, it's all of a sudden it kind of the light bulbs start to go on. Yeah. And the reconstructing is, is really like a fascinating, exciting, um, life-giving thing. So... Um, yeah, how would you speak to that? Um, well, so this did just remind me of, I, I do feel like when I heard Joshua Harris, and, I, you know, this is not bag on celebrity Christians uh, podcast, but I do think that, like, I kiss dating goodbye. Mm. I feel like that's pretty Christianity light. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. Um, he never went to seminary. Uh, he, he, he was never... 
um, introduced to the vast Christian world outside of his little sovereign grace sort of church network. Yeah. And I think what that, what that met with was destruction. I mean, mm. I mean, once, once the doubts started coming in, he didn't really have anything to stand on. Mm. Right. Mm. And so I just want to affirm what you were saying is get a, get a better theological underpinning. Yeah. You know, uh, get to know the early church fathers, mm. read, uh, the medieval theologians, Anselm and, uh, Bernard of Clairvaux and read Augustine, read, uh, St. Irenaeus, you know, read these guys who nobody else reads, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, how C.S. Lewis talks about for every new book that you read, you should read so many other books that are, that are tested classics. Mm. So I, I do think I, I would just affirm you there. Um, uh, what, what did what did Bond say? I, I like to read dead guys, or what, is that what he said? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I only I only so, read dead guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd affirm that. The other thing I would just say is is um, Tim Keller has a, a, a line, and I don't remember where it came from, but he's he talks about doubt your doubt. So you have doubt. Okay, that's fine. Jesus can deal with it, like you said. But as much as you have doubt, as much as you feed that doubt and that cynicism and that. Uh, you know, you're kind of testing the waters here. You also need to you you also need to meet that with uh, equal doubting of your own doubt. Um, and I have a rule um, because you know I've gone through my own sort of struggles and deconstructions and doubts and all that sort of stuff. But as much as I might read somebody like you know like a critical scholar or this person or this uh, whatever, uh, as much as I might read these things questioning the Christian faith, I need to match it with something that bolsters the Christian faith yeah. that's tested true. And um, um, so, so I think for every, so I wrote this down, for every podcast or book that you read that questions the faith, listen or read something that equally bolsters your faith. Yeah. So that, that's, I feel, I feel like that's, that's a, I feel like that's a fair thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, read guys that have engaged in these issues. Yeah. So you're like, wow, I never even thought about this uh, questioning the Bible. Okay, well, find a good author. There's, you know, tons of, you know, N.T. Wright has a bunch of good stuff. Tim Keller, uh, Michael Kruger, uh, you know, there, and we could probably type some, a list of good authors. But read those guys, too. Yeah. You know? So read some good guys that, that know how to engage in these issues because, the, the reality is you're not ill-equipped. Yeah. Or you, you are ill-equipped, rather, to deal with it. You need help. You need yeah. some, some yeah. education. You need some people to help you with it. So Yeah, and I think being, um, yeah, intellectually honest enough to, like, like is it, is it, was it David Hume who, you know, um, just incredible thinker, philosopher of his day, and I don't know that he ever, you know, fully surrendered his life to Christ or became a, you know, Orthodox Christian. But he went and listened to St. Ambrose preach all the time and sit in the back of uh, his church. And as he would kind of get ridiculed by his friends um, for doing so, why do you go there? You don't believe that stuff. And his classic line was, yes, but he does. Mm. And I just think, like, to expose yourself to the best Christian thinkers, writers, speakers, who who you do sense have a deep well, um, to expose yourself, you know, and sometimes that 
requires some help. Like, who should I be reading? You know, I'm the, at this level of a reader. I, you know, I need just kind of an entry level apologetic of, of the Christian faith, you know, or man, I need some deeper, you know, I, I need to read Lewis because of, man, he's so brilliant in the way he phrases stuff and some of the stories that he tells and how they connect, uh, the physical world to the spiritual. And, and so, so just being intellectually honest enough to go like, have I actually exposed myself to, um, to resources, to, to thinkers, to writers, to Christians who I believe like they really believe this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, before, yeah, before I just kind of walk away, um, yeah, and, and consider myself homeless when it comes to to Christian. Yeah, and I, I could talk about this for hours, but I, man, yeah, do not be intellectually lazy. Yeah, yeah. Don't accept the thing that makes you feel good, right? Like, okay, I have come to this conclusion that, um, you know, uh, whatever. Well, okay, now you need to read something else that that challenges that conclusion and makes you feel really uncomfortable about it. Um, because, uh, um, yeah, I mean, you, you need to challenge yourself. Yeah. You need to be rigorous in this. Don't be the lazy deconstruction person, yeah. you know, don't be that, you know, so I, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And not to Jesus juke you guys, but read the Bible too, <laughs> right? <laughs> too late. You just, Jesus um, this. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who, you know, some scriptures were used to manipulate her. Mm-hmm. And so for her, reading the Bible was really painful. Mm-hmm. Um, so what she started doing was reading a different translation. So mm-hmm. sometimes, yeah, pick up a different translation of the Bible that you haven't read before mm-hmm. and see how that, you know, impacts the way that you read it. Um, I was reading from uh, the Jude 3 Project today mm-hmm. about the slave Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to talk about a reason to deconstruct your faith, like the slave Bible that, mm-hmm. you know, they, they took most of the Bible out and, yeah. and gave enslaved peoples just a few chapters, you know, to mm-hmm. manipulate them. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking, one of the steps to, you know, even begin to reconstruct, mm-hmm. knowing that this was the case, knowing that, that slave, that, um, slave we're, we're using this slave Bible. How do you even begin to reconstruct? And they encouraged you to read the Bible cover to cover because read the, read the chapters that they took out. Mm. Because, yeah, like you can see that Jesus cares, that God cares for the marginalized people. Um, yeah. So read the Bible and, and find that. Find, that. find the parts of the Bible that you haven't read before yeah. um, because it's powerful and, and it can help you to reconstruct hearing from Jesus himself, hearing from the word of God, um, reconstruct that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I would just, I would just continue to appeal to anyone who is in that place where, okay, I want to do that. I want to, whether I'm still kind of, I I didn't even realize it, but now I'm listening to this and I, I'm realizing I have been kind of in this, this season of deconstructing and, I do want to process it well, and I do want to do it in a healthy way, and I do want to kind of re-immerse myself in the Word of God, and I, I, I do to reconstruct. Um, I have that desire to, to reconnect, you know, story. Hmm. Um, I would just encourage, like, yeah, d- do so in a church that welcomes that, 
and um, allows you to gives you patience to do that and even comes alongside you as you do it. And, and hopefully, I mean, I want to say, I want to believe that, that that's what we want here. That's what we want Northwest Bible Church to be. Um, man, we haven't done it perfectly, but um, I think that's our desire. And so I would, I would just appeal to anyone out there, like you, um, yeah, to do this in a in a healthy healthy way, you need to do it with others. You need to do it in community. Um, you're shaped and formed in community, um, and sometimes that's deconstructing parts, um, and sometimes that's reconstructing other parts. So, yeah, it's good. We're uh, over an hour now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. This is just, I guess this will just be a longer podcast. I mean, sorry, guys. The goal of this podcast is to spiritually form our own people in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you're listening in from somewhere else, we hope that it has the same purpose for you. And if you have questions or comments or ideas for future podcasts, please email them to us at podcast at northwestbible.com. So one one picture here. Can we can we stop it? What's going on with this fan? Uh, oh, it's throwing me off. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here, let me see if I can close. A... All right. So I've just closed two programs. Programs? <laughs> what am I from? Pro- England or something? Programs. <laughs> that's for that's for aluminium. <laughs> Do we have some aluminium? The goal of this podcast is to spiritually farm, form. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> farm, that was definitely farm. good. Yeah! <laughs> yeah, she screwed up. <laughs> spiritually farm. Talking about aggro. Spiritual abuse. Yeah. We're farming. Uh, <laughs> 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 We're spiritually farming. <laughs> oh, man. All right, this will be hard to recover from. <sighs>